Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Grave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. Thank you, Jesus. I was already scheduled to preach this morning. You know why? Because it's my birthday and I said I'm preaching on my birthday. Somebody else said, I would have taken the day off. I said, oh, no, no, no. I said, this is fun for me. (laughs) So I actually have fun when I get to see you guys and talk to you guys. This is not like just a job or a chore to me. I'm excited to be here. All right. So today we are going to work through a familiar passage of scripture. If you're joining us online, you might want to grab your Bible uh, or Bible app right now. We're going to spend a lot of time in the first three chapters of Genesis this morning. If you're here in the room, they're going to be up on the screen. But bring your Bibles to church. It's just a PSA. Bring your Bibles to church. It's a good practice to do. I know when I was small, pre-cell phone, we didn't have apps, so we had to carry them. Um, so either way, just, just have the Bible near at all times. All right. Can you say, I was meant for life with him? All right. Say, I was meant for life with him. Okay. Good job. All right. Well, we're going to start in Genesis two, eight through nine. All right. If you could read along with me, it says the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden And there he put a man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skipping to verse 15. Then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, Rebecca, could you put up the first scripture, the verses 8 and 9? Can you just leave that up there? Thank you. All right, so my first question to you, I have questions for you today. My first question to you is, who put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? God did. Wow, excellent. All right, God put the tree there. Okay, so from the very beginning, God gave us choice. From the very beginning, he put lots and lots of trees in the garden. And he said, you can eat of all of them, but don't eat of that one. Okay, so he gave us the power of choice. Say, thank you, Jesus. I have always been a person that liked to choose for myself. Ask my mom. So I say, thank you, Jesus, for giving me the the ability to choose for myself. So... With that tree, he gave us a choice. Now, some people will look at this and say that God is cruel for putting that tree there because now he's tempting us with this tree. But if we look at James 1.13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Say, God doesn't tempt anyone. Okay, so if we believed that that tree was a temptation for us in the garden, the Bible proves that that's not the case, because God does not tempt us. Now, if he's not tempting us, there had to be another reason for that tree in the garden, right? And that reason is freedom, because freedom requires us to have choice. So we're going to break this down more. Freedom requires us to have a choice, and furthermore, love requires us to have a choice. Now, the Bible says that God is love, and so God is love, and God does not tempt us, and he gives us freedom to choose, because in order to have love, we have to be able to choose. Okay, hopefully you're going to stay with me, because I know this is going to be a lot to unpack. 
Now, if there were no option, if he didn't put that tree in the garden, there would be no choice. And if there's no choice, there could be no love. All right. And I can say this because love doesn't require feelings. If you have ever done something for your spouse or your child, if you have ever changed a poopy diaper, if you have ever cared for a sick loved one, if you have ever scrubbed a toilet, if you have ever watched a movie you, did, you hated, if you ever went to the restaurant that you would not have chosen, if you ever did anything for a person that you loved because you loved them, then you understand that love does not require feelings. Love trumps feelings. But love does require choice. So every time that you made that decision, to, even though you didn't feel it, you were in acting in love. You were making a choice motivated by love. So love doesn't require feelings, but it does require choice. 1 John 4.19 says, We love him because he first loved us. So we can love him because he gave us the ability to love him back. He didn't force us to love him. He gave us a choice to love him. Because how many of you, maybe I shouldn't say how many of you, if you have ever seen or experienced someone who loves you but you don't love them, that's when we have restraining orders. <laughs> right? It's called stalking. It can be called abuse. Because when it's, when it's not a choice on both sides, it's not love. Love requires choice. That's why if you've ever had a crush on somebody and they didn't like you back, it hurts, right? Because you can't do anything about it. It's their choice, not yours. You're only responsible for your side of it. Because it, love requires choice on both sides. So he loved us, and so we can love him. He gave us the ability, the power, to love him in return, and that love requires a choice. So, all right, we've covered the first question. The second question, all right, the scripture's not up there, so you're going to just kind of have to think this through. Did God create an evil tree? I know, you got to think about this one. Scott's thinking it through, and he says no. Scott is correct. God did not create an evil tree. Why can I say that with confidence? Because there's no evil in God. He can't create something that he, is, he has no capacity for. He didn't create an evil tree. Now, he did create the tree of the knowledge of evil. But it's also, it's, just, it's the same tree. It's the knowledge of good and evil. So say, God did not create an evil tree. Genesis 1.31 says, Then God saw everything that he had made, everything, including the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He saw everything that he made, and he said that it was good. So he didn't create an evil tree because he said everything was good. So why would we need the knowledge of good and evil? Hmm, this is a pondering moment. Why would we need the knowledge of good and evil? He put it in the, in the garden, and it wasn't a temptation, and it wasn't evil, but he put it there. Now, obviously, God already had the knowledge of good and evil. He's not evil, but he had the knowledge of good and evil. He is the one who can discern what is good and what is not good. So God himself already contained the knowledge of good and evil. So now he puts a tree in the garden. So, all right, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So, I would propose that if Adam and Eve were in the garden with God, that they already had the access to the knowledge of good and evil because they had access to him. Are you following me? So Adam and Eve are already in the garden with God. They have access with God. And God already knows the knowledge of good and evil. So in essence, they already had access to the knowledge of good and evil, but only through him. And the only reason they knew not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was because of him, right? 
Wouldn't it have been cruel of God to say, I made all these trees and one of them is no good? I'm not going to tell you which one. Good luck. Wouldn't, that would have been cruel, right? They would have made a movie about it and it wouldn't have been a good one or a happy one. But he didn't. He said, I've created all these trees for you. Just don't eat of that one. So he told us. And the only reason we knew was because we knew him, and he told us. Okay, are you following me? I'm seeing a lot of inquisitive faces, which is good. That means you're thinking. All right. So in other words, we had to go to him to know the knowledge of good and evil. And we could do that. And this is pre-sin, right? They're living in a perfection with God. This is pre-sin. So, again, this isn't about choosing evil because it's not an evil tree. All right, Genesis 3, verse 1. says, now the serpent, oh boy, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, God, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Okay. The enemy will always get you to question God. This is lesson number one. The enemy will always get you to question God. What God has said, who he is. So, this is a note for your life. If you ever find yourself questioning who God is, then... I would be pretty skeptical of the voice that's telling you to do that. Because the enemy will always try to get you to question who he is and what he said. So if that is ever the case in your mind world, that you're questioning who God is, it's a good indicator that that's the enemy trying to steer you away from what is true. All right, it goes on in Genesis 3, verses 2 and 3. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the, tr- the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Okay, did I underline? No. All right. But it adds, nor shall you touch it. Okay. So whenever we try to reason with the enemy, rather than going back to God and say, God, what did you say again? then we're going to get it twisted. And it's going to be more restrictive. Because God said, don't eat of the tree because you'll die. Now Eve said to the enemy, she's now reasoning with the enemy and saying, no, 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 we can eat of all the trees except for of that one. If we eat of that one or if we touch it, then we'll die. So now it's becoming more restrictive because she's reasoning with the enemy rather than going back to God who gave them freedom of choice. All right, and then in Genesis 3, verse 4, just the next verse, it says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You won't surely die. Now the enemy is directly opposing what God had said. So first, he gets him to question it. Then he gets her to reason with him. And now he's just blatantly saying the opposite of what God said. These are the tactics of the enemy. You won't surely die. Now, the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. So he will always lie to you. Say, the enemy will always lie to me. If you ever knew a person who you never knew if they were telling the truth or not, well, the enemy is 100%. He just will lie to you every time. You don't even have to question it. He will lie to you every single time. So the only way to know if it's the enemy or if it's God, is does it oppose what God has already said? So in this case, it does. You won't surely die. So verse 5 says, this is the enemy speaking, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now the enemy is claiming to know God's intentions. So he's saying that that God's intentions were control. But if we remember, God didn't control us because God is love and love requires choice. 
So God is all about freedom. He always gave us freedom because he is love, and love requires choice. So now the enemy is saying, God wants to control you. That's why he's doing this. So he's now opposing the character of God. So first he just blatantly lies about his words. Now he's directly assaulting God's character. Now, the enemy could not begin to know the mind of God. It is so far above his pay grade, there's not even a number for it. There's no way the enemy could know the mind of God. So we know that this is all manipulative. We know that this is all for the good of the enemy. So the enemy is now telling Eve what God is like, even though he has no capacity, has no ability to do that. And by doing this, in essence, the enemy is saying, well, I know the mind of God. And what he's saying is, I am above God. He's saying, I understand the mind of God. And by doing that, he's saying, I'm higher than God. Because how can you understand the mind of something and not be greater than it, if that makes sense? All right. So the enemy is saying, I don't need God. I'm above God. And, and if you look at the fall of Lucifer, that's what happened. He was saying, I don't need God. I'm greater than God. And that's when the fall happened. But we're not going to get into that today. But that's always the, been the enemy's mojo, is that he is greater than God. So now he's getting Eve to try to do the same. So he's saying, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's a tip. If you want to know what God is like, go to God himself. Did you ever play telephone, the old school game, where you whisper something in somebody's ear, and then they whisper it in the next person's ear, and they whisper it in the next person's ear, and by the time it comes the whole way around, it is completely like you don't, it doesn't make any sense at all. That's gossip. That's right, Sandra. That's gossip. That's why we are a no-gossip zone, right? So if you want a true account, you go to the source. You don't listen to all the other voices. And the world is full of all the other voices. So if you want to know what God is like and you have those questions, go to him. Go to him because he'll reveal what he's like. Okay. So anytime we start listening to outside thoughts, voices, rumors, opinions on what he's like, we'll get it twisted. All right, I'm going to skip this bit. Verse 6, Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and was pleasant to the eyes. Now this part is true. Because if you go backwards, I don't have it up there. But it said, and out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Say, God made a good tree. All right. Now that verse continues. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant for the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave it to her husband, which was with her. Say, we're all in this together. All right. Just, just so we don't have any gender blaming going on there. All right. The part that Eve added here, because we know that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes because God said it was. Then there's a line in here that says, she saw that the tree was desirable to make one wise. Now we're going to break this down a little bit. So she saw that it was desirable to make her wise. That begs the question, did God create Adam and Eve foolish? Because if she's aspiring to be wise... Does that mean that God made them foolish? So now we have to think this through. God says that he made us in his image and likeness. Is God foolish? No. So therefore, if we're made in the image and likeness of God, and he is wise, wouldn't we also be wise? That, would, that makes sense to me. So God, contrary to popular belief, God did not make cavemen. Like, he did not create us 
Like, uh, like we, we weren't apes, right? If you don't believe that, oh, well, I do. All right. God didn't make cavemen and he didn't make robots because he gave us the power of choice. He created beautiful, perfect, thinking, feeling, choosing, intelligent, creative, powerful human beings made in his own image and likeness. And he made us to do life with him. He made us to look like him, to be like him, to do life with him, not to control us, but he gave us total choice so that we could choose to one, love him, and to do life with him. So he created us to partner with him. In Genesis 2, 19 and 20, it says, Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Okay, now if, if man were not already wise, why would God give him this job to name all the animals? Because if he was a fool he wouldn't have had the capacity to do that. Okay. And, like, so God gave him a job to do, and he trusted that, the, that he was going to do it well. Because God didn't create robots. He didn't program us to do it. No, he gave us the ability to think, feel, and choose for ourselves because freedom, because love requires freedom and God is love. Are you with me? We're not sure. <laughs> okay. All right. So if man were not already wise and creative in thinking and choosing and feeling and powerful, why would God immediately assign Adam a creative thinking, feeling, choosing, powerful task? He wouldn't. In Genesis 1, verse 27 and 28, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, so he blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So if Adam and Eve were not already wise by creation, why would God give them the assignment to rule and reign on the earth? He wouldn't. And he didn't just say, go procreate, go be animals. No, he said, you have dominion to rule and reign over the earth, over the animals. And in fact, I want you to be such a part of this that I want you to assign them their identities by giving them their names. God was always in this for partnership. He always wanted us and him to be doing this together from the very, very, very beginning. So... Let's go back. Eve said she saw that the tree was desirable to make them wise. So the serpent was not deceiving them into having wisdom because they already had it. Because we see that God created them that way. He already created them fully capable in his image and in his likeness. So he wasn't deceiving them into having wisdom because they didn't have it. No, he was deceiving them into a false wisdom that could be obtained as independent from God. So you see this. If you go back and you remember that God, one, already created us in his image and likeness, and he is wise, so we are wise, right? And we have access, we have direct access to him. And he already has the knowledge of good and evil. So why... Would there, why would we need a tree of the knowledge of good and evil that we're not supposed to eat? To me, the only explanation here is that that tree was their choice to do it without God because they already had it in him. So the only reason to eat of that tree would be to think, to be deceived into thinking that they could obtain something outside of God independent from God, like the enemy did. So we were never meant to do this life on our own outside of God. He didn't give us a choice between good and evil because it wasn't an evil tree, remember? He gave us the choice between doing life with him or without him. Because it wouldn't be love if we didn't have a choice to love him back. 
It wouldn't be love if we didn't get to choose him like he first chose us. He gave us the choice to choose to do life with him from the very beginning, and he still gives us that choice every single day. So just to reiterate, he, didn't give a, he wasn't giving us that tree as to choose between good and evil because it wasn't an evil tree. He was giving us that choice in power and in love to choose to either do life with him or without him. And we still get that choice every single day. And a lot of the times, especially in religion, we make it about not choosing sin. There's a lot of rules in religion. Even if you look at the Old Testament, there were a lot of rules. Some of them God gave and some of them man created. There's a lot of rules. And even in religion today, we can see a lot of rules. We make it about don't do this, don't do that. We make it about the choice between good and evil or sin and righteousness. And some rules are for your benefit. Some rules are for for your profit. But from the very beginning, God never intended it for it to be about choosing sin Sin was a byproduct of us choosing to do it without him. The choice was always and is still, are we going to choose to do life with God or without him? James 4, 7 says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is a very powerful verse because you see that when you submit to God, when you make the powerful choice to love him in return and to submit to him, Sin is a non-issue because it says when you submit to God, you've resisted the devil and he will flee from you. So when you choose him, the way we were always meant to be, to choose him, which is our choice, we don't even have to worry about sin because we choose him, right? All right, now... We know that sin did enter because of man's choice to try to do it without God. And because of that, the world has felt its effects ever since. Every person alive on the face of the earth has felt the effects that sin has had on, our, on the creation. But Jesus, say thanks, Jesus. So there was a gap because God and sin cannot be together. They can't be close because there's no sin in God. And so just as a force, sin can't touch God, right? So now sin marks humanity, and there's a separation. Now immediately, there's a plan because God has always wanted to be with you. He has always intended to do life with you in partnership, always. He loves us so much. I many of you know love is a powerful force? If you've ever fallen in love, you'll do stupid things because love is a powerful force, right? So now God is not doing a stupid thing, but he's doing a powerful thing and that he launched a rescue plan for Jesus to come and to bring us back together again because he always wanted to be together from our very beginning, from the garden. He always wanted us to be doing life with him together. So for God so loved the world, we know the scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, I'm adding here, under the effects of the cost of sin, but have everlasting life in nearness to the Father with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. So he loved us so much that he said, whoever will believe in me, we're going to come right back together again because that's always what I've wanted. He still wants to be with us. So Jesus wasn't just a rescue mission to save us from the effects of sin, which he will do, but it was a love mission to give us the legal right to choose him and to choose to do life with him because that was always his intention. His, His intention has never changed. He has always wanted to do life with us. So one day God's going to come and he's going to heal and he's going to restore all the broken sin effects that have marred us and marred this world. Isn't that awesome? He's going to do that. But you know what his main goal is? Just to be back together with us again. 
All right. So God's choice is still his choice, and he still chooses us. Say, he still chooses me. Say, he still chooses me. All right. I've got to wake you up a little bit. All right. So his choice is still his choice, and he still chooses us. And guess what? Our choice is still our choice. Will we choose him? Or will we choose to do it on our own like Adam and Eve did? So every single day, we still have the choice to choose to do life with him as him being our source or to try to do life outside of him and let the world inform our thinking, choosing, believing. So when I say we have to choose him, I don't mean that we have to um, get our ticket to heaven. Obviously, at one point in time, if you have said yes to Jesus and you have invited him into your heart as your Lord and Savior, you chose him. You did that. So you don't have to, that, that is secure. But we still have to choose him every single day. If you are married, you still have to choose your partner every single day. Or there will be problems, right? So guess what? When we don't choose him every single day, problems, right? All right. So every single moment of every single day, we get the ability to choose him. We get to choose to either live life with him or to try to do it on our own. Now, the God of this world is like the Wizard of Oz. Did you ever see the Wizard of Oz? The God of this world is like the Wizard of Oz. I hated that movie. It's very creepy to me. And it's very long. But the God of this world is like the Wizard of Oz. Why? They were after the wizard because the wizard had all the power and all the knowledge, right? And they wanted to go seek the knowledge and the power and the wisdom, right? So the God of this world is like that. It is the appearance, the illusion of being all-knowing and all-powerful and being the source of wisdom. Now, if you know the story of the Wizard of Oz, when they got to the wizard through all of the peril and pestilence of the yellow brick road, when they finally got there, what was it? It was an illusion, right? It was just this little guy behind a curtain, right? Which the Bible says that the enemy is like that. That one day we're going to say, is that the guy? That's what was messing up my whole life? That illusion that looked like this? Is this little thing that always belonged under my feet? So the God of this world, the enemy, makes the appearance to be all-powerful, to be above God himself. But it's just an illusion. So, if you spend your life chasing that illusion, trying to find the answers in it, you'll find out that it was only ever a mirage meant to keep you from seeing the truth. In Romans 1.22, it says, professing to be wise, they became fools. And in 1 Corinthians 3.19, it says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. It appears to be wisdom, like the tree, like the lie that the enemy said. If you eat of this tree, if you try to do it on your own, you'll have wisdom. But true wisdom is only ever found in him, and he has given us access to it. The Bible says if, you, if any of you lack wisdom... Do you know the rest? Let him ask, and he will give to you. So we still have access to true wisdom in him. All right, so the truth is that from him and to him and through him are all things. He's still the source. He's still the, the answer. He's still the most powerful, all-knowing, all-present force, presence, person, Spirit in us. So, how do we practice a life 
of choosing him, choosing to do life with him instead of choosing to do life without him. Number one, I'm going to roll through these quickly. Number one, make him the biggest thing that you see and the loudest voice that you hear. This is a constant prayer for me. God, I pray that you would make, that you would be the biggest thing that I see and the loudest voice that I hear. Why? Because there's lots of other voices. There's lots of other illusions that appear to be bigger than God. But there is nothing and there is no one who is bigger than God. So I continually remind myself of that. So when I hear the voices around me, and guess what? Those voices evoke anxiety. If you watch the news and feel cheer, I don't know what news you're watching, but the voices of the world evoke misery. So I say, okay, God, no. I choose to make you the biggest thing that I see in the loudest voice that I hear. And it has to be a conscious choice. And that's something we have to train ourselves to do. How many of you know that once upon a time you did not know your ABCs or your one, two, threes? Once upon a time you did not. That was above your pay grade as a toddler, right? And then you learned. Why? Because you did it over and over and over again. You went to school, and they taught you your ABCs, and you know the song, A, B, C, D, right? We all know the song, and we sing it over and over and over again because that's how we learn, and that's how something becomes second nature to us. So it's something that we have to practice of saying, God, I make you the biggest thing that I see and the loudest voice that I hear consciously, deliberately, intentionally every single day. It has to become something that we are training ourselves in. The world will not train you in this. You have to make a conscious choice to do this. And he is your helper. He is with you. You're not, you don't have to do this alone. Okay. Number two. We have to be in the word of God. Don't tune me out. We have to be in the word of God. I am more convinced than ever that we, we must have this. We must know this. Because this is the truth. And so if there's lots of liars talking to you, the only way to know what's a lie and what's the truth is to know the truth. Otherwise, the lies will have their way with you. So get in the word of God, whatever you've got to do. If it's one verse a day, if it's the same verse that you say every single morning, do that. I used to think, because I was raised in church, good little Christian girl, I used to think that we had to sit down and read passages and passages and passages of the Bible, and guess what? I've never been a longevity reader. I have never been. I fall asleep, I get distracted, my mind wanders, and guess what? If you're reading, like, Ezekiel... (laughs) It's like weird stuff. It doesn't make sense all the time. So if you put yourself in this religious box that you have to read three books of the Bible a day, you'll give up. Unless you are like a super knowledge person, then you might go after it. But just start small. But you have to be intentional about it. It has to become a habit like brushing your teeth, which I pray you all do. So if you brush your teeth every day, put scripture on your mirror until, yeah, put, kill two birds with one stone. My mom used to hang the scripture in front of the toilet because she thought, well, they can't avoid it there. And so every day I'd be reading the scripture because there's nothing better to do, right? We didn't have cell phones back then. All right, trying to make it relatable. Make it very personal, make it very practical to you. Just get the word of God inside of you. You have to do it every single day. It's what will keep you rooted and grounded in the things of God. All right. One scripture that's changing my life, and it's hard, is 1 Corinthians 13, which I'm teaching the kids. And so I've changed, I've mixed the translations a little bit, but it says that love is incredibly patient, and it says that love is gentle, and it says that love is consistently kind to all. Super hard. Consistently, kind, say to all. 
to all political parties, to all people that hold all opinions. Love is consistently kind to all. And it says, love doesn't keep score, doesn't keep records of wrong. It says lots of other things. But that's changing my life because I'm teaching the kids and I'm like, well, I better not teach them something if I'm not practicing it because that would make me a hypocrite, right? And guess what? I still have my moments of hypocrisy because we're all practicing and that's okay. All right, so number one, make him the biggest thing that you see. Make him the loudest voice that you hear. Number two, the word of God. You have to be purposeful about getting it inside of you. Number three is worship. Intentionally set your affections on him. So when you wake up in the morning, that's as simple as saying, God, thank you for this day. All that's doing is making a conscious choice in your heart to set your affections on him. That's what worship is. You will always be worshiping something. So if you're not worshiping him, you're worshiping something else. It's just wherever the direction of your affections are. So every single time, I choose to put my mind back on him. So every single time, somebody is talking to me about blah, 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 and my mind wants to go and latch onto that, I say, thank you, Jesus, that you have the direction of my heart. And what it does is it keeps me on track so I don't follow the yellow brick road into the illusion of wisdom and power of this world but it keeps me on track seeing him for who he is. And he is the king of my heart. He's the mountain where I'll run. So worship, set the affections of your heart. You can do it with music. You can do it without music. Sometimes I'm not a music person. I'm one of those weirdos that drives long drives in silence. I don't want to be bothered with music sometimes. So you can do it with music or without music. If music is your thing, jam out. But the point is that you're setting your affections towards him. You're setting the directions of your heart towards him. So he should be part of every conversation. This has been a challenge that I have been living for the last couple of years, and I'm still very, very much practicing it. But when I'm having a conversation with someone and my mind wants to, again, latch on to everything that's being said, I invite him in to my heart. That doesn't mean I have to stop them and say, oh, wait, 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 wait. Jesus is Lord. If somebody's not saved and you do that, you're a whack job, and they're not going to want anything to do with you or Jesus. So I'm not talking about making it weird. I'm talking about in my own heart, he is a part of every conversation that I have, and that helps to keep me on track. And when you're with people who do believe what you believe, talk about the things of God. Make it a precedence that in this home, we glorify God. We put our attention on God. In this friendship, we put our focus on God. Just talk about it. All right. So, number one, we do a lot of repeat in children's church, so we're just going to do that here. Number one, we make him the biggest thing that we see and the loudest voice that we hear. Number two, the word of God. Number three, worship. Number four, cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. This one is easy, but we don't do it as often as we could. So when we are overwhelmed by the weight of the world, how many of you have ever been overwhelmed? Can you raise your hand if you've ever been overwhelmed? Super, I was hoping I wasn't alone. Okay. If you have ever been overwhelmed, he says that we can go to him and we can cast our cares on him. Do you guys know that this week was a very overwhelming week for me? And I'm prone to panic attacks. Not nearly like what I used to be before. So I've been doing a lot of deep breathing. But while I'm doing my deep breathing, which is good for the brain, I'll talk to you about that outside of sermon. But while I'm doing my deep breathing, I said, God, I give it to you. God, I give it to you. I give it to you. I give it to you. And I would just start naming out names. God, I give them to you. 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 And it's kept me sane. Because guess what? He says, cast your cares on me. Why? Because I care for you. So just do it. That's all you have to do is say, God, I give it to you. I give it to you. I give it to you. And the more you do this, the better you will feel. The more you're going to be able to live your life. Because like the weights start to fall off. Because why? When you cast it on him, you don't have to carry it anymore. So when that heaviness starts to weigh you down, cast it on him. You don't have to carry it anymore. And you have to do it over and over and over again because we're forgetful sometimes. 
like the Israelites, that see the oceans part and they walk through on dry land. And they go, God, you're never good to us. We're so hungry. Right? We forget. So we got to do this over and over again. Sorry, Israelites. If you're in the cloud of witnesses, I'm sorry. All right. So what are they? Number one, keep God. The biggest thing that you see, the loudest voice that you hear. Number two, the word of God. Number three, worship. Number four, cast your cares on him. Number five, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This to me is one of the biggest gifts that the Bible has given us is this scripture verse is Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and is acceptable and the perfect will of God. So he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. He gave you a powerful thinking, feeling, choosing mind that we get to use. And he says that he's given us the mind of Christ. So we have, say, I have the mind of Christ. Okay, how many of you, your thoughts are always the mind of Christ? No, right? Because we still get a choice to either choose the thoughts and the patterns of this world or to choose the mind of Christ. We, it's still our choice because remember, God gave us choice because he is love and love requires choice. Okay, so if you've ever had a battle in your mind, an anxiety, depression, worry, comparison, discontentment, jealousy, doubt, on and on and on, they're all mind battles, which is pro- most of our problems in our minds, right? And they go unchecked a lot longer than body problems, because body problems like hurt. So we'll address them quicker, right? But our mind problems go, go unchecked a little longer. But a lot of our problems stem in our mind world. So the word tells us to think on things that are good and lovely and perfect and of good report. He gives us instructions on what to think about. Isn't he kind? He tells us what to think about. So the renewing of your mind is so, so, so important. And we do that by just repeating what he said about us. Thank you, Jesus. I was made in the image and likeness of God. I'm awesome. Just saying the things of God. I'm asked so often why I can't um, seem to get past this pattern of thought, this pattern of thinking that's so taking over me. And it sounds like I'm giving the cheapest, most cop-out answer when I say, rehearse what God has said about you. It is not candy. That is the meat. That is what will transform your life because it said so. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the more we rehearse what God has said about us, what he's done, who he is, the more we are training our brain, we are transforming our life by the renewing of our mind. All right. Last one. Say last one. You guys are troopers. I've preached long because we had short worship. So let's go over them again. Number one, this is, how you, this is how you choose to do life with God instead of life outside of him. Number one is make God the biggest thing that you see and the loudest voice that you hear. Number two, the word of God. Number three, worship. Number four, cast your cares on him. Number five, be renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And number six, be near to the Holy Spirit. I never want to lose sight of the fact that he's with me. Because if we think that we have to do this on our own, we get the whole thing wrong. Because if you look back at the very beginning, we were never meant to do it alone. That was our choice. It was never his intention. And so we were, we were created with God the Father, connection to him. When that was broken, he sent Jesus, Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, in the present, in the flesh. And then Jesus said, don't worry. It's a good thing that I'm going away because I'm sending you the Holy Spirit and it'll be better for you. So do you see how he never, ever wanted us to be separated from him? So you are never, ever, ever separated from him. So we just have to remind ourselves that he is near. He is inside of me. And it says that the Holy Spirit is our helper and our teacher and our comforter and our counselor. Think about like, it doesn't just say that he is our provider and our just, just God of justice, and these, no, like he's our comforter, 
He's our Prince of Peace. He's our friend. He's very near to us. And he's always wanted to be. So, should we repeat him again or no? Let's do it one more time. Cover all six. Number one, and these are the ways that we help ourselves to live as we were always intended to live with him and not outside of him. Number one, make him the biggest thing that you see and the loudest voice that you hear. Number two, the word of God. Number three, worship. Number four, cast your cares on him. Number five, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And number six, be near to the Holy Spirit. All right, Father, I thank you that your intention for us was always to be with us, that you loved us so much that you gave us the choice to love you in return. God, that your heart was always to be our source, to be the one we could run to, to be the source of our wisdom, to be the source of everything that we need. God, that was always your heart. It was always your intent. And God, I thank you that you have never changed your mind. God, it is still your heart to be with us. God, you still love us. You still give us the choice to choose you back every day because that's love, the ability to choose you back. Father, I thank you that you are kind, that you've provided us with a way to be with you through Jesus, through your living word, and through the Holy Spirit that is with us always. So, Father, I thank you, God, that when the voices of the world become big and loud and when the enemy tries to deceive us, Father, I thank you, God, that you are first and you are most. You're the biggest voice, the biggest thing that we see and the loudest voice that we hear. Father, and I thank you that they will know us because of it, because we look like you like we were always intended to. In Jesus' name, I bless these people. Amen. 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 Before I dismiss you, I'm going to miss you next month. I am going to be gone a, a bunch of Sundays because Brianna is getting married next week, which is why she's not here today. She's preparing for her wedding. Yes. Then I'm going on vacation. And then Danielle, our uh, former drummer, she would be very mad at me if she hears me say former, um, but she's going to be having her baby, so I'll be up with her. So I just want you to know that it, it matters to me when I'm not here. It's not like I just skip out on you guys and I have a vacation, enjoy it. No, I actually think about you when I'm gone. So even um, on my, I said I wanted to preach on my birthday. Why? Because this is like the joy of my life. I love being here with you guys. So if you don't see me for the next few weeks, you're in my heart. I love you very much. You can still find me if you need to talk to me. But all right, you guys are going to go out and conquer this, this day? It's my birthday, so you better. All right, I love you guys. You're dismissed.